Welcome to the House of Tech, where Parliament meets technology. We're talking about what well, things are going to change people's lives. I'm Fred Best, the co-founder of Finder. I'm Andrew Bragg, Senator for New South Wales. And we've got some really interesting topic today. Yeah. Artificial hey, intelligence. And our guest today, Dr. Katerina Wallace. Welcome to our podcast, House of Tech. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Senator. Great, great to be here. Tell us your story of how you sort of got into AI and, and you know, and what was important to you in that journey? Uh, my career has been really focused on customer and employee experience. And I did a PhD at the Australian Graduate School of Management where I studied the role that computer technology played in replacing human leaders. So I finished that in 2007 and really saw kind of ahead of the game that tech and humans were going to meet up and tech would play a much stronger role. So when I finished the PhD, I set up another couple of companies, a market research firm, a human-centred design firm, and then on the back of that I saw an opportunity to build an automated system that would help guide customers through their experiences. And to do that at scale, we needed to build machine learning. So I I think, Fred, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mr Joe Waller, uh, joined with me and we built one of Australia's first uh, machine learning AI companies because Australia was so slow and there was no money going into AI, no one had heard of it around 2014, 15, and certainly venture capital wasn't going to female-led businesses. We took it to the US and set it up out of New York. So, Katrina, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where Australia is positioned now? as a result of your intervention and your leadership and what are some of the great ideas that are being developed here in Australia? Yeah, well, I've got to say, Senator, that Australia, honestly, is a laggard in artificial intelligence. We really are not leaders in almost anything. If we are going to be leaders, then it's probably around ag tech, potentially med tech, and building responsible and trusted AI. But we really way behind the rest of the world. So that's my, that's my honest answer. But the opportunity is there now. I'm super pleased that federal government put in a big chunk of money last year. I think, Senator, it was about $124 million into starting to fund the AI ecosystem and the National AI Centre and some graduate programs, et cetera. So we are starting on the journey but a little bit later than the rest of the world. I do believe we have an opportunity to step up into a responsible and ethical AI leadership role because we're not really seeing that from any other countries. But, but I mean, what are the two or three things that the government could do to ensure that we can have that private sector-led approach? Because although, of course, I agree with you that it's good to see government funding things, I mean, we actually want to see government... Uh, providing a framework where the the market can deliver the outcomes. So are there particular things that we could do in addition to providing public funding? Yeah, definitely. So the real opportunity is to start building better relationships between industry and Australian-based AI companies, whether they're startups, scale-up or emerge a bit further. Australian industry tends to be a bit risk-averse. We also kind of sit a bit sort of happy and without a burning platform, which, you know, burning platforms have really driven the US's innovation in AI, uh, China's investment, India's investment. So we need better relationships between industry 
and the AI sector so that young AI companies, Australian-born, get chance to trial and improve their products in client opportunities or also in government but probably private sectors where it needs to be. So that would be outstanding as well as then more funding into, into AI. So the last statistics I looked at, we had a tenth of the funding per capita into AI than perhaps the US has. Tell us, you know, what is AI and what's it actually doing for customers? What does it, what does it actually mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant question. So let's go back to 1956, Dartmouth University. That's when the term AI was coined by some computer scientists who recognised that software could mimic human intelligence. So in the very, very most easy accessible way to describe AI, it's software that mimics human intelligence. And then there's different types of AI, which I'll go into in a second. But if we think about the core components of AI, it is data, algorithms, analytics, decision-making, and then automation. And within that, there are different types. So there might be machine learning. So machine learning is a type of software. Uh, This is what uh, my company built, where the machine is able to learn on its own accord without needing further explicit programming. There's computer vision technology, which is like facial recognition, natural language processing, so machines that understand human language. There's robotics, sensors, and and big data and data science. They'd be the main types of AI. And what we're seeing AI really bringing to business and and government at the moment is efficiencies, so the automation of routine tasks, better, smarter, and faster analytics, and augmenting humans making decisions. So efficiency, analytics, and decision-making, this is really what AI can bring very well to organisations currently. I wanted to ask you about what are the biggest risks because I've taken the view that Australia is a nation of oligopolies and because of that we need to ensure that we are very good at the digital stuff because uh, we want to harness that so that we can be able to get the benefits But also the other side of the coin is if you're a nation of oligopolies and you're heavily invested into a couple of big supermarkets, a couple of big miners and a couple of big banks, then how do you ensure you've got a plan to protect against disruption risk? So what are the industries and businesses that AI is most likely to disrupt? Yeah, this is such an excellent question, Senator. And and those of us, the kind of AI thinkers in, in Australia, this is of huge concern to us. So, so go back to the beginning of your question and I'll pull some various parts out. AI has the potential to just dissolve international and national boundaries. We, we know that. And that's why Google can come and, and play a big game in Australia. Uber can come and play a big game in Australia. We have Australian farms that are run by McCain out of the US and McCain uses AI to determine how the farmers should behave, how they should manage their crops, what yield they should produce, et cetera. So the real risk to Australia, unless we get on this AI train, path, plane, rocket ship very quickly, we will be will become uh, a backwater country where American and probably Chinese uh, entrepreneurs come to, to make money. 
And so this is a, a great concern to industries uh, such as retail. It's already happening to retail. You can pretty much order anything from anywhere online now. It is happening to a degree in, in tourism. It's happening in banking. It's happening in all sectors. So no one is really immune from it. And that's what we really need to bring home to Australian industry is that unless we really start to bring Australia's competency up to speed, we are going to be well behind. Now, I've joined a group uh, that Richard Branson is funding called the B Team. You know, the A Team is currently what goes on in the world now and the A Game is not really working that well. So the B Team is playing the B Game. You know, what's, what's Game B? And so we've put together an AI coalition and we're just about to invite 30 CEOs around the country, big, big Australian companies, to come in and join us to start to help raise how AI is being done by the big, big corporates. And in that regard, what we're seeing their most interest in is supply chain logistics because, of course, the pandemic kind of destroyed uh, supply chain. We know scarcity is the new abundance now, so we're managing scarcity rather than abundance. And then second to that would be customer experience and, and customer sales would be the two areas that, we believe the CEOs of Australia are interested in starting to improve using AI. Katrina, I love chess and I also love computer games. And I've seen some of the games in chess that where computers can literally, you know, beat the, the grandmasters now. And they, they start to create and invent moves that people just humans would never do. And the same thing applies in um, computer games with like high-end esports um, where AI, are, um, they create, openings and, and and things that again humans have never thought of or, or done where do you think this goes like you know computer games obviously between humans were, were fun do you think there's going to be ai esports um in the future oh for sure no question about that and we're seeing already the emergence of the the metaverse which is a fully immersive virtual reality augmented reality mixed reality ai driven world where we will see games in there plus a whole lot of other services, products, experiences from the physical world now replicated in the virtual world where it will all be underpinned with AI and game, you will game against uh, the machines. Now, what we know is that within a short amount of time, particularly in gaming, within 10 years, the machines will be far superior to their human masters. And within 30 years, we assume that general AI, it will be the most intelligent entity on the planet. And so it's no longer science fiction that the robots and software can no longer need their human masters to a degree they don't now. Over the next 10 years, we'll see that in gaming, in the metaverse, and then we'll see these computers become the most intelligent entity on the planet. I want to go back to this issue of the risks the country faces in not addressing AI. I mean, I've shared some inquiries into fintech and I've had some exposure on the big tech issues through the Senate Committee on Economics and also on the Communications Committee. And one of the arguments that's been put regularly is that you need to have a strong fintech, core fintech sector, and you need to have strong payments companies because if you don't do that, then Google and Facebook will eat everything, right? The big five American companies will eat everything. I wanted to ask you whether you subscribe to that theory in AI or whether you, your view is that 
AI is something that just needs to be embedded by all the existing businesses in order to survive, or whether it's a combination of the two. I mean, it's a long question, but I'd be interested in your answers on, on both the question of do we need to have national champions and or does every business need to come to terms with it? Uh, the answer to that is is both. So we do need strong fintech uh, community, AI-based fintech, and one of the reasons for that is also, as I mentioned before, the emergence of the metaverse, and that is a whole other financial model that goes on in the metaverse, building on the back of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and NFT trading. So I would say most Australians have no idea that this whole new currency and financial model exists and that organisations and businesses are setting up in the metaverse and to, to participate in the metaverse, you need to have a crypto wallet. That's your entry pass in. And so there's this whole different world. Now, unless Australians and government in particular, Senator, start to become aware of Web 3.0, the metaverse, the whole cryptocurrency financial model world, then again, we'll be left behind. So I'm doing work at the moment with Minister Victor Dominello, who is very progressive in thinking about these topics. And today I was just on the phone to Lorraine Finlay, the Human Rights Commissioner, also very, very interested in the metaverse and, and how Australia will play in there uh, regarding how we will do business and build financial models and also how do we keep Australians safe and reduce risk in the in Web 3.0. So I do think we need fintech leaders for sure and government leaders who know about Web 3.0 and can do something about it. My concern, Senator, with the government and politicians is typically they don't come from a technology background and I think we need much more technology literacy at, at the politician level. So that, that's my answer to the first part. And then definitely we need all businesses in Australia to start to understand and adopt technology and AI-driven technology in order for them to remain competitive as well as to protect their markets. Well, I might just, before Fred asks you the next one, I'm going to just make the point that I agree that you need to have more people in politics with a broader set of experiences, but it's it's very hard when more normal people won't won't join political parties and won't put their hands up for public office. And I understand that there's a lot of drawbacks, right? But the pool of talent that major parties have to deal with is often quite narrow. And so it is it is a real it is a real challenge. And so if people are interested in having their say on these things, uh, they should should get in touch with me because uh, we do want people to get involved in in the political process. It's not about politics, it's about bringing to bear relevant experience and applying it in the national interest. Yeah, I think that's a great summation and that's certainly what I'll do with the New South Wales Government Minister Dominello, with the Human Rights Commissioner and, and any other politician that wants advice on AI and the metaverse. But Fred, it sounds like that might have been the Senator calling you for a, a potential political future. Yeah, what do you reckon? You'd be great. I, I, I reckon <laughs> you, you just nailed it. You're going you're gonna to run next, next election? I don't think anyone would vote for me. I, I'd look at you pretty close, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon you, you get a, at least one. One, one vote. Well, that's that's. I appreciate that. We've got this new thing, Katrina. We're doing romantic gestures, and so um, I'm upping my romantic gesture after that. I'm, I've I just added to the to your balance in terms of what I'm going to do. 
It's next level. On Airtasker. But how do yeah. I find you on Airtasker? Isn't it anonymous? Yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> this might not be a very successful romantic gesture. Well, it might have to do, we'll have to do it in person. Hey, but Andrew, you've got like a pretty cool profile picture. Like a, You look like a cyberpunk on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Looking like an NFT sort of style. That's looking pretty cool. I think, I think, uh, you know, I think your cryptocurrency papers are pretty forward thinking. But, well. but maybe we do need to have an inquiry into the metaverse and to work out what, what we haven't examined yeah. so far because the inquiry we ran into crypto last year was really about crypto, right? It yeah. was really about digital assets. Yeah. So maybe that's something we need to we need to look at, Katrina. Yeah. Uh, look, I think so. And I've written a paper that I can share with both of you and the audience after this. Great. But I'm also on a campaign to become the commissioner for the metaverse uh, Senator, because when I was doing some work at, at state government level and I was on, on stage, they announced like a commissioner for manufacturing. I went, what? How can we have a minister for manufacturing and we don't have a, no, a, a commissioner for manufacturing and we don't have a commissioner for AI or a commissioner for um, metaverse? So that's my my champion, championing myself to potentially be the commissioner for the metaverse. Yeah, well, um, I, the federal government probably has jurisdiction here. Um, I don't think we let the states uh, get involved in that too much. Uh, but I have to say the New South Wales government has been uh, one of the best governments in my lifetime. Uh, I think they've done a really, really good job. I wouldn't say about every every Liberal government, but it's been an outstanding government. What are you looking at, Katrina, when it comes to AI? Like, What are you looking at going, wow, that's new, that's changing? What should our listeners know? So I, chairing the Venture Capital Fund and Accelerator Boab AI, I get to see a lot of the scale-up AI companies coming through and still they're pretty much focused on analytics, uh, data sharing and applying analytics to logistics or to scheduling or rostering. So we're still in Australia at the stage where it's advanced analytics applied then to automation, so automating supply chains or automating pharmacies or automating hospitals, uh, et cetera. So that's really where what we're seeing now. We're seeing a few cool robotics uh, companies, but we want to actually start to see more Web 3.0 companies coming through. So I'm associated with Artesian Capital and we're very interested in looking at how might we fund some young Australian companies that want to set up in the metaverse or in Web 3.0. I think this is an opportunity because we kind of, miss the AI race. Now that we're faced into Web 3.0 and the metaverse, if we could start to really encourage and bring forward Australian-based companies ahead of the game now, given that we know Meta is putting 10,000 employees on to build their metaverse in the next five years, we need to get ahead of the game and start funding Web 3.0 companies. I also wanted to ask you, Katrina, about the issue of women in leadership and uh, having led an ASX company that would make you one of a very few uh, women CEOs. What advice do you have? What are the things that people can do to become the, the boss or to take on a senior role? Yeah, look, this is a topic very close to my heart because truthfully, as the CEO of an ASX-listed company, it was a very brutal job so you know when the share price was good and everything was going well and remembering we were an AI startup based out of America so that it was enormously difficult task and when things were going well 
the investment community was very supportive. When things weren't going so well, when we had to pivot or we lost a client, it was brutal. And a lot of it was very misogynistic as me as a female leader. So I would say there's a lot to do in cleaning up the ASX and the whole the capital markets investment community about how they treat probably not only the female leaders, but also the male leaders. I know it's not just me that, that got a hard time. And look, I, as all uh, ASX CEOs, take responsibility. If the company is not performing, then, then it's, it's on our heads. But the way some of that feedback is given was just misogynistic and brutal. So women came to me to say, oh, I'm thinking about listing my company on the ASX. And, and we were the second only women-led, so we were a woman CEO, woman chair, to ever list on the Australian Stock Exchange in 2016. It's a hyper-masculine environment and a lot needs to change for women to be safe and to be comfortable to lead in those environments. So that's one thing I say. Second thing we talk about is, is the pipeline problem. So a lot of emphasis goes into, oh, there's not enough girls studying in primary school. Oh, there's not enough girls studying in high school or in tertiary education. Now, remembering that we need 160,000 more data scientists in Australia by 2030, which is one of the CSIRO's statistics, and we need at least half of those to be female because at the moment only one in ten jobs in AI is held by women and leadership would be a minuscule part of that. We need to understand that it's not just about education. Where we see women starting to peel off is when they get into these organisations, particularly the large tech companies, and they experience structural inequity within the business. So they make it all the way through education and they make it through the gateway of recruitment and they make it into the company and then that's where they start experiencing structural inequality and that's often between the age of 30 and 45. The work becomes meaningless. They don't feel that they can progress or are supported and they will peel off. They'll peel off to go and have family, to go into another business, to start their own business. And the tech sector needs to do a lot more to hold those women once they're in the company rather than just thinking it's the pipeline problem. Katrina, I was going to ask, you know, both Andrew and I have have daughters and one of my daughters just started um, high school and I'm uh, obviously always trying to encourage her to, you know, where, where she can and what she loves to do. She loves to play computer games. I don't know where she gets that from. Um, actually, they both do. But um, what's one thing you think, you know, parents can do to you know, support and help their kids to, to take on and learn technology? Yeah, well, one of the things, and I know this is quite controversial, but when we hear parents go, oh, you know, the kids are having screen time and there's too much screen time, they're playing games and it's a terrible thing. Well, it, it can be very terrible if it's not balanced with their diet and exercise and having time out in nature and socialising. But actually we need these young kids to have 10,000 hours of deep gaming or technological experience for them to be the problem solvers and the leaders of the future. So I think parents should perhaps just be open-minded to it's not all this kind of paradigm of technology is bad and we should keep them off the devices. We need those kids on the devices but in a way that's, that's healthy. So that's one thing I'll say. And then the second thing is for parents not to discriminate between their sons and their daughters. Give them both opportunity. Encourage them both to be on tech, to be learning tech, to be gaming, to be building their own tech. It needs to be normalised for them. And then the third thing would be let we need to put more role models in front of the girls. We need to have them see females 
who are in tech and who look like them, sound like them, having a cool life and are doing well. Well, Mario Brothers is hard to beat, I've got to say. Mm. Do you still play? Uh, every now and then. Do you play Mario Brothers, Katrina? We, we play a lot of Minecraft. Mm. Yeah, Minecraft was my kids as well. Fortnite was my kids. I'm now in the metaverse doing Beat Saber. Mm. Cool. Good. So we, there's two things I need to ask you because this is a serious podcast, but Fred, if Fred had his way, it would only be serious. But I, I like to ask a couple of lighter questions um, and there's a double banger and they're not related. But the first one is, would you go to space if you could now? And also, what's your favourite food? Yeah, I would absolutely go to space if I could now. That is the next frontier. And for me, it's expanding human consciousness beyond this world is what we need to do. I also know that the psychedelic renaissance is on, on foot at the moment and a lot of the big tech CEOs and space travellers have used psychedelics to help them determine how we expand our consciousness. So I'm going to plug the psychedelic renaissance. I'm going to plug that space travel is absolutely something I would do. And my favourite food at the moment, I'm vegetarian, uh, would have to be... I know so rank, but tofu. Oh yeah, like the Japanese style. Yes, yeah, not just like the soggy, um, yeah, supermarket stuff. Something fancy Japanese with teriyaki or some fancy sauce. That is uh, fantastic, Katrina. We wanted to thank you very much for your time. That is a wrap for today's program. There is more information in the show notes at finder.com.au forward slash house of tech. Yeah, and don't forget to leave a review where you listen to your podcasts. If you like this episode, tell a friend. That's the way podcasts spread. Do your friend a favor. Katrine, thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome. It's been Such great. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.